90.3 RLC WDPH FM Piscataway. It's the Core News for the week of Monday, November 22nd. This week on the Core News, we've got some international news for you. There's some national politics, some local politics, environmental news. You'll hear about what's new at music, or rather what's new in music, here at 90.3 The Core. Find out about a couple of awesome events held this week right here at Rutgers. And of course, hear the entertainment update from the Sherman Tank. But first, here's Amy Bronstein with the Core News War Update. In Iraq, in spite of announcing another week's delay on Sunday, November 21st, leaders near forming a coalition government over nine months after national elections left no one party with a clear majority. Initially, it seemed that the only sure thing was that Prime Minister Norwi al-Maliki would not get another term leading his country's government. Members of parliament loyal to the anti-American cleric Muqtada al-Sadir were fiercely resistant to another term for Maliki at first. In the months since the election, parliament has met only four times. But now, Iraq's fractious Shia majority seemed to have pulled together, and it appears that al-Maliki and President Jalal Talabani have been cleared for another term though there have been some concerns from U.S. officials that satirists or members of his Mehdi army may be appointed to positions in Iraq's military and police. The biggest loser in the new coalition government is Iraqiya, the secular party of Ayad Alawi. His party has members from Shia, Sunni, and Kurdish backgrounds, but they come together on nationalistic and secular issues. Alawi's party won the most seats but not an outright majority of parliament in the elections, which left him vulnerable to the two major Shia parties forming a ruling coalition without Iraqia. In Afghanistan, on Saturday, November 20th, NATO commanders in Lisbon agreed to a phased transfer of security powers to the Afghan government ending in 2014. However, the military commanders laid out their plans for a NATO military presence long after the 2014 date. As in Iraq, Western military personnel will continue on in a supporting and training role. However, as we have seen in Iraq, these NATO soldiers will continue to fight and die so long as they are deployed in Afghanistan, regardless of the name of the mission. On Sunday, November 21st, the Afghan Electoral Complaints Commission disqualified 21 candidates for parliament. Part of the evidence against them is an audio recording of Ismail Khan, a member of President Karzai's cabinet, and an election official. The tape shows them negotiating the manipulation of election results for six candidates so that Karzai loyalists won rather than lost. The incident is just one of many of fraud in Afghan elections. As many as three million fraudulent ballots were cast for Karzai two years ago. And in this recent election, 1.3 million fraudulent ballots have been thrown out so far. I'm Amy Bronstein with a Core News War Update. And you are listening to The Core News right here on 90.3 The Core, streaming and podcasting at thecore.fm. Now with some international news, here's Yashwanth Manjanath and Rebecca Norton. Washington is worried about what Stanford University professor Siegfried S. Hecker reported to the U.S. State Department after a recent trip to North Korea. Turns out North Korea has a new uranium enrichment facility, which they claim will only be used as a power plant and will not be weaponized. Mike Mullen, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, says Professor Hecker's report confirms U.S. concerns that North Korea has been enriching uranium while publicly denying it. The facility violates U.N. Security Council resolutions on the North Korean nuclear program. 
U.S. Defense Secretary Robert Gates doesn't believe the facility is peaceful in nature. Concerns range from Korea making viable nuclear weapons to attack the U.S. directly to selling those weapons to the highest bidder who might use them against the U.S. On Thursday, Iran was reprimanded for human rights violations by the United Nations General Assembly Committee responsible for social, humanitarian, and human rights subjects. The resolution was drafted by our northern neighbor, Canada, and co-sponsored by 42 other countries. Canadian UN Ambassador John McNeese said Tehran has made no efforts to improve its human rights record despite repeated international calls for it to comply with international obligations. Iran's various human rights violations include stonings, torture, flogging, amputations, executions of juveniles, executions by strangulation, continued discrimination against women and minorities, and a persistent failure to uphold due process. Perhaps this latest UN action puts to rest criticisms of its perceived anti-Semitic, anti-Israel bias as an organization, although I highly doubt it. Speaking of Israel, at least six Palestinians were injured in Israeli jet attacks on three targets on the Gaza Strip, including two women and one child. Israeli officials say the strikes are retaliation against heavy rocket and mortar fire from Gaza militants. Gaza is the main source of Israeli-Palestinian violence these days, with the terrorist organization Hamas governing the region. This violence comes just as the Israeli government is preparing to vote on whether to renew restrictions on West Bank settlement construction in order to revive U.S.-sponsored peace talks. On Sunday, the European Union and the International Monetary Fund came to an agreement to bail out Ireland. Much like our own financial crisis, Ireland's woes stem from bad banking. Publicly, Dublin has denied any offers for help with its dire financial situations, but privately it has been in negotiations since Thursday. Ireland shares the euro with 15 other countries, and if the euro fails in Ireland, it could lose value in those countries as well. In May of this year, Greece was in a similar spot when the EU agreed to a bailout. Now it looks like it's Ireland's turn. Both Sweden and the United Nations are also considering helping out. The finance minister of Ireland, Brian Lenehan, said Ireland is asking for less than 100 billion euros, 140 billion U.S., and has a four-year plan to reduce its debt and rein in banks. Economists predict Spain and Portugal are next in line for a bailout. France has received a lot of criticism from the right wing in this country for their opposition to the Iraq war. However, the French government's commitment to the war in Afghanistan is remarkable. Al-Qaeda recently kidnapped five French nationals in Niger and is holding them hostage. If the French want to secure the release of the hostages, Al-Qaeda has demanded that French troops leave Afghanistan. According to a report from Al Jazeera, the French government will not yield to Al-Qaeda's threats. On Friday, French Foreign Minister Michel Alliot-Marie said France will not accept that its policy is dictated to from outside by anybody. What this development means for the hostages remains to be seen. Al-Qaeda has been known to behead hostages when governments have failed to acquiesce to their demands in the past. The Vatican has a pretty consistent stance on condoms, mainly being against them. However, in a recent interview with German journalist Peter Sewald, Pope Benedict XVI said, quote, in certain cases, unquote, condoms are okay. What kind of cases? Male prostitutes were given the green light for condom use in order to prevent the spread of HIV, which can lead to AIDS. 
The Pope said using condoms can be a responsible and moral move when it comes to having sex with the chance of spreading a disease. The head of the United Nations anti-AIDS campaign said the Pope's remarks are, quote, a significant and positive step forward, unquote, but don't be fooled. The Pope is still against using condoms as a form of contraception, and he believes they should only be used to prevent spreading disease. Tigers are in danger of becoming extinct within 12 years thanks to a loss of habitat and poaching. The World Wildlife Foundation estimates there are only 3,200 of the big cats left in existence versus a century ago when there were 100,000 tigers. Recently, Russian Prime Minister Vladimir Putin has decided to co-host the International Forum on Tiger Conservation with the World Bank in an effort to save the tiger. Russia is home to 400 tigers, which is 7% of the world's tiger population, and Putin has laid down strict laws in his homeland to ensure the tiger's safety. Representatives of all 13 nations where tigers are still living in the wild will attend the forum in hopes of doubling the current tiger population by the year 2022 with the Global Tiger Recovery Program. One nation that will have to improve their tiger conservation efforts is China, where traditional medicine creates an underground market for tiger parts. With international news, I'm Rebecca Norton. I'm Yashwant Manjanath. And this is The Core News on 90.3 The Core, streaming and podcasting at thecore.fm. Now, Yashwant is back with some news about politics. In national political news, a new report released by the Nonpartisan Government Accountability Office, or GAO, finds that the health care reform legislation that passed Congress back in March actually reduces the deficit and debt. This new report contradicts Republican criticisms of the legislation as a fiscal nightmare with the potential to bankrupt the country. Whether or not this news impacts Republican efforts to repeal health care reform remains to be seen, given concerns over rising federal deficits and debt. Sticking with the topic of health care reform, newly elected Republican Congressman Andy Harris made news this week when he demanded his government-run health care coverage as a member of Congress. When told there would be a 28-day delay before his coverage would kick in, he asked if there was some government insurance plan he could buy into between jobs. This comment shocked congressional aides who told the Washington Insider newspaper Politico that Harris's proposal sounded eerily similar to the public option, a health care provision Harris demonized during his campaign as a pathway to socialized medicine. It appears that Harris is only against the public option being offered to the American people, not to himself and his family. Well, Democrats on Capitol Hill have made it a point to hammer Harris and other Republicans for their perceived hypocrisy on the issue of health care reform. Democratic Congressman Joseph Crowley of New York is circulating a letter demanding that Republicans forego their federally subsidized government-run health care plans. If your conference wants to deny millions of Americans affordable health care, your members should be able to walk that walk. Crowley writes in a letter to House Minority Leader John Boehner and Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. Crowley wrote, you cannot enroll in the very kind of coverage that you want for yourselves and then turn around and deny it to the American people who don't happen to be members of Congress. In his letter, Crowley taunts Boehner and McConnell, demanding to know how many Republicans will ditch their government subsidy, which typically covers two-thirds of their premiums. Crowley stated, it is important for the American people to know whether the members of Congress and members-elect who have called for the repeal of health insurance reform are going to stand by their opposition by opting out of the care available to them at the expense of hardworking taxpayers. We look forward to your response in the coming days about exactly how many 
of the members in the Republican conference will be declining their taxpayer-supported health benefits. Thus far, only two Republican congressmen have opted out of their congressional health care plans in a display of principle. Finally, arguably one of the biggest accomplishments of the Obama administration was negotiating a $20 billion independently controlled escrow fund with BP to compensate the victims of the catastrophic Gulf Coast oil spill. At least that's how most people would see it. But Republican Congressman Joe Barton disagreed. Barton referred to the negotiation between the White House and BP as a, quote, shakedown and apologized to BP CEO Tony Hayward during a public hearing in the House Energy and Commerce Subcommittee on Oversight and Investigations. Now that the Republicans are back in charge of the House, Joe Barton is expected to become chairman of the House Energy and Commerce Committee. If Barton wins the chairmanship, he'd be elevated to the top position in the entire House overseeing the oil industry. Is it fair to wonder if Joe Barton will protect BP at the expense of the American people? This is a classic example of why ordinary Americans often become frustrated with how Congress does its business. With the national political news, I'm Yashwant Manjanath. This is The Core News on 90.3 The Core. When we return, there will be some music news, some entertainment news, some Rutgers events, and so, so much more. The Core News will be back right after this. This is The Core News on 90.3 The Core. Streaming and podcasting at thecore.fm. And now, Yashwant Manjanath is back once more with a little more local politics. In local and state political news, former state assemblyman and local official Daniel Van Pelt sentenced to more than three years in prison Friday for accepting a $10,000 bra from a crooked developer. U.S. District Judge Joel Pisana ordered Van Pelt to serve 41 months in a federal prison, the maximum possible sentence. According to Pisano, he did a terrible thing to the citizens of the state and that he's going to pay the price. Hear, hear. Good to see that even elected officials are not above the law. Newly reelected 12th District Congressman Rush Holtz introduced the Tyler Clemente Higher Education Anti-Harassment Act on Thursday. Holtz District covers parts of New Brunswick, so it's very likely that many Rutgers students helped him back in office earlier this month. While most colleges already have anti-harassment policies, the Anti-Harassment Act introduced by Holt requires schools to inform students of how to report bullying and what counseling is available for victims. Rutgers officials said that they are in favor of the proposed federal law. We will update you on whether or not the legislation passes Congress during this lame duck session before the newly elected Congress takes over in January. In her first visit to New Jersey as First Lady, Michelle Obama caused quite a stir in her visit to a public school in Newark, South Ward. The focus of the visit was Mrs. Obama's anti-obesity campaign to help improve children's health. Obama told a crowd of nearly 500 students and teachers, in smart, passionate young people like all of you, we see the future of this country. In order for all of you guys to do all that we expect you to do in the future, you're going to need lots and lots of energy. You've got to be healthy if you're going to change the world. Obama left a positive impression on many of the students you met with. Sixth grader Hydea Black told reporters, In third grade, my dream was to meet her and touch her, and now my dream came true. 
It's not good to be obese because it can cause heart problems and lead to surgeries. If Michelle Obama can use her charisma and mass appeal to convince children to improve their eating habits, I think that is change we can all believe in. And with the state and local news, I'm Yvonne Mondrian. This is The Core News on 90.3 The Core. Now it's time for some environmental news with Anna. And hey, it's, I'm glad to be here. This is the 90.3 The Court Environmental Eco News. Did you know that there is a tentative plan to run a liquefied natural gas pipeline through the towns of Linden, Carteret, Woodbridge, and Perth Amboy? Liberty Natural Gas applied for a federal permit application to construct an ocean pipeline and connect it to a storage facility 16 miles off of Asbury Park's coast. On day November 8th, environmental groups that opposed the pipeline project, including the Sierra Club of New Jersey, the Surfrider Foundation, the New Jersey Environmental Federation, the Food and Watch, Water Watch, and Clean Ocean Action protested in Trenton. The executive director of Clean Ocean Action, C. Zipf, said during a press conference at the State House, this pipeline project would begin the industrialization of the ocean. Additionally, in June this year, the Perth Amboy City Council adopted a resolution opposing the pipeline route, which would begin too close to the Robert N. Willens Elementary School in Perth Amboy. And I want to thank our 90.3 The Core News Director for alerting me to this news story. I will keep you as posted as possible about this pipeline. Now we head to Atlantic City and peek into a City Council meeting that happened this past Wednesday, November 10th. Atlantic City's City Council voted and passed on a resolution against the plan of the Linden Company Pergin Ones that would trap CO2 waste from a northern New Jersey power plant. Send it through a pipeline and pump it under pressure into the bed of the sea in the Atlantic Ocean located right off the coast of Atlantic City. In favor of Atlantic City's resolution, Jeff Tittle, director of the New Jersey Sierra Club, said the Atlantic City Council understands the importance of protecting our oceans from chemical waste. This pipeline under pressure to the seabed project would use something called carbon sequestration to keep the CO2 buried under the seabed. The process of removing carbon from the atmosphere and depositing it someplace is what carbon sequestration is. And in this instance, it's in the seabed off the coast of Atlantic City, New Jersey. Now we have a story about a lady in Piscataway. She's a person who prefers to go nameless. She walks to get strong after a physical setback. She brings along one empty bag, wears one work glove, brings a walking stick, and in one day picks up two bags of recyclables that were tossed to the edge of the woods she walks by. She found an additional empty bag hanging from a tree branch she got down by using her walking stick. Then another day, with work glove and walking stick, single-handedly picked up a whole bag of litter. And get this, the recyclables went in the recyclable container, and the litter went in the trash can where it belongs. And a quote from the cleanup lady, she said, if I can do it, you can too. Clean up the earth and get your name on the Eco News. And if you are a reformed litter bug, let us know. And for heaven's sake, don't litter. This is planet Earth, you know. And that was Nana with your environmental news. Next, we're going to find out a little bit more about our Rutgers neighbor to the south. Yes, that's Camden. And many of us have this feeling that Camden can be a little full of crime. But maybe, maybe that's just a, a, a mindless stereotype. 
Or maybe it's true. We'll find out with Rebecca Berkowitz right now. A study released by the CQ Press yesterday states Camden, New Jersey no longer holds the distinction of being the country's most dangerous city. St. Louis had more violent crimes per residence than Camden in the year 2009. Michigan cities Detroit and Flint are the third and fourth most dangerous cities, with Oakland, California rounding out the top five. In the year 2009, St. Louis had... 2,070.1 violent crimes per 100,000 residents. The national average is 429.4 crimes per 100,000 residents. Camden was the most dangerous city in 2003, 2004, and 2008. Camden's population is about 79,000. The median household income for 2008 was $24,283 per household compared to $70,378 for the rest of New Jersey. Camden is also home to Cooper University Hospital and campuses for Camden County College, Rowan University, UMDNJ, and of course, Rutgers University. I'm Rebecca Berkowitz for The Core News here on 90.3 The Core. And now, here's The Core's head music director, Lauren Jefferson. Tell us what's new in music now. Hi. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Doing pretty dandy. It's cold. It is. But I guess we have to expect that in November. Yeah. Yeah. November seems appropriate for cold. I always forget that. But it's okay. (laughs) But it's also appropriate for awesome new music. So what has come out this week? Well, there's there's a few things that we got at the station. I'll start off with Gold Panda um, and the album Lucky Shiner. And this is an album from a new UK producer. But he didn't want to create an album of bangers, but an album of structure. So this is his debut, and he doesn't necessarily avoid the banger aspect of like a lot of electronic production, but he does hit with more like a more delicate and sophisticated punch, which I guess is kind of like contradictory. But so, uh, what is a banger? It's kind of like you know those songs in the club where everyone's just like getting into it. Yes. Okay. Okay. More usually, usually banger is associated with club music. But this is this it's full of like this album's full of like lush, dizzying, like glitchy and hypnotic beats that'll really appeal to fans of um Baths or Caribou and Fortet. It's a really great and solid album. Um I've been listening to it nonstop for the past four days. Uh and it's definitely gonna be one of my top ten of uh two thousand ten. Just the other day I was thinking, I wonder if Matt and Kim are going to come out with a new album. And they did, finally. Um, so Matt and Kim released their album Sidewalks, and this is going to be the follow-up to their very successful debut album, Grand. Interestingly enough, this album is much more mature than their first one, um, but it still has their same energy that makes Matt and Kim Matt and Kim. But for this for this album, they also pull from like hip hop and R and B, which is really interesting. And as I was saying earlier, I think the best way to describe this would be Matt and Kim on ADE meds. Well, Grand did really well here at the station, so we'll have to see what DJs and listeners think of this one. And what else did you find? The Fresh and Onlys put out a new album, uh, Play It Strange. It's their third album. And this album actually moves slightly away from um, their fuzzed out and like surfy garage rock sound, um, which is how I'd describe them in the past. But Play It Strange shows a more serious and introspective and moodier side to the band. And the best description I heard came from our uh, general manager, who described it as fall surf rock. 
Yeah, so anyone who's into bands like the OCs or Best Coast or Ty Seagal might want to check this one out if they haven't already. Excellent. And what have DJs at the core been into over the last week or two? The last week has kind of been not very surprising. Uh, Belle and Sebastian came in at number one with Right About Love. Chromio at number two with our album Business Casual and Weezer at number three with Hurley. But um, at number four, No Bunny, uh, which is kind of interesting, and his album First Blood. And it's just kind of like just crazy garage rock, punk, noise stuff, lots of catchy hooks. And people people who are into No Bunny know what No Bunny is all about. And Belle and Sebastian have always done really well at the station. The Weezer is interesting. No matter what people think of Weezer, yeah. they, they tend to... It's always it's always charting top three, no matter what Weezer does. <laughs> and what does Chromio sound like? They're kind of like goofy, electronic, like hip hop blend. They're they're really interesting. If you if you were to look up a picture of Chromio, you would understand. Okay, we'll have to do that. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot of variation in the top four this week. Yeah. <laughs> This is The Core News on 90.3 The Core, streaming and podcasting at thecore.fm. Scarlet Harvest may sound like the title of a retro-themed horror movie, but in fact, it was a fun event held outside the Cook Douglas Rec Center last Wednesday, which involved pretty much no horror, unless maybe you're really bad at painting or have a terrible sense of direction. Hey, um, I'm Andrew Zarnest. I'm in uh, Rutgers University Programming Association in the Traditions and Community Organi- uh, Committee. And what we basically do is we do all the traditional events at Rutgers. So today we're having the uh, Scarlet Harvest, which is just an event to like celebrate the fall and to do some arts and crafts, eat some food for free for all the students. And there's some kids here too and just go through the corn maze and everyone seems to be having a good time. So, I mean, I'm pretty glad with the way it turned out. Everything seems to be going pretty well. Everyone seems to be having a good time. And, you know, we got music playing. Everyone seems to be, you know, enjoying themselves. Okay, so we're out here on Skelly Field next to the Cook Douglas Rec Center. And what are some of the snacks that you have here? Uh, well, we got some uh, kettle corn. We got sugar cookies. We got these little pumpkin pie tarts. And those are really good. And we got some hot chocolate. Oh, yeah, and the caramel apples. I completely forgot about those. Those are really good, too. A little messy, but I liked them. I've never been entirely sure how you actually eat a caramel apple. Do you just have to, like, bite into it and give it your best shot? See, I don't know either. And um, Carrie, our advisor, who's, like, from Wyoming, she knows she loves caramel apples. She's the one that pushed it. She's like, you just got to take a big bite and then just eat around it. So that's what I did. It worked out. And what are the crafts that you're doing here? Uh, we have some uh, ceramic pumpkin banks for, uh, the, for everyone to kind of paint and decorate themselves. I'm actually working on mine right now. It's coming out pretty well. Let's hope it come, comes out okay. Um, we also have uh, bracelets. For the kids, for everyone to make. And, um, I mean, the pumpkins have been going really fast. The bracelets, you know, I mean, some people are doing them, but, you know, it's kind of iffy. We might not do that next year. If It seems pretty uh, like a pretty good event, so we might have it next year, too. Describe what this corn maze looks like here. I actually kind of drew up, like, a little maze schematic, and we had uh, Middle Valley Farms come, and they put together the maze this morning. It's about uh, three feet high or so, but we have corn stalks up that kind of block from view, and seems to be... I mean, I like it. Everyone seems it's a lot harder than everyone thinks it is because it's kind of small. But when you actually get in there, you get lost pretty easily. 
All right, well, I'll have to give that a shot. Are there any other events coming up in the next month or so? Um, well, the Southern Donut Tents are on every campus, but if you want to uh, look up some more information about it, you go to getinvolved.ruckers.edu. There's going to be some information on there about the Southern Donut Tents, but um, they'll be on every campus. And also you can check out Facebook. And, you know, the uh, Rupert Ruckers Facebook page, it has all of our information, all of our events on it. Hi, I'm Jamie O'Leary. I'm a sophomore at Rutgers. I made a cute little pumpkin, a trick-or-treat pumpkin. It's like piggy bank, too, actually. <laughs> it's orange, and it says trick-or-treat, like classic pumpkin with the green leaves on the top. <laughs> How long did it take to dry? Uh, actually, really quick, because it's crazy windy out right now. So <laughs> I didn't get too much paint on my hands. <laughs> yeah, just a little. So are people enjoying making the pumpkins? Yeah, definitely. It looks like everyone's having a good time. Some interesting pumpkins out there, actually. <laughs> yeah, which are, which are some that you've seen that you like? Um, let's see. I like that silver one over there. And it looks like someone decided to make a vampire out of their pumpkin down there. Vampires are in. I like this one, too. It's a Christmas pumpkin. Gotta get both, both, both holidays in there. <laughs> Very efficient. <laughs> Do you, do you do a lot of group events? Actually, this is my first volunteer event, and I've only been to one general meeting before, so I'm just getting involved. <laughs> so I guess it's a good one to start with. Definitely. In case you're wondering, I did make it out of the corn maze, and as a reward, I got a cookie. Pumpkin-shaped, orange icing, very tasty. If you want to check out these things yourself at future Rupa events, see what they have to round out the semester, you can look that up at getinvolved.rutgers.edu. Now the Livingston Student Center is rebuilt and expanded. There are student organizations setting up here almost every day. One of them was trying to help students quit some nasty habits. My name is Shravi Gajella, and I'm representing Colleges Against Cancer. Well, today we're doing we're supporting the Great American Smokeout, where we're having this table to persuade people to stop smoking. The Great American Smokeout is designated for one day to persuade people to stop smoking. So tonight, what we're doing is asking them to break their cigarettes, and if they do, they can sign this pledge that they're going to start to stop smoking, and we're giving them um, quick kits to help them stop. So. This is a national event, not just Rutgers, so this is our way of supporting them. Well, one of the things is gum, and we said it's a reminder of the sticky situation that you got yourself into. The second is a mint to freshen your breath. The third is a lifesaver to save your life from the harmful effects of smoking. The fourth is Starburst for the new burst of flavor in your life. A fifth is chocolate for the sweet sense of satisfaction. And the sixth is a penny in case you need a little luck. So it's just a more creative way for them to realize what smoking does to you. So, And you've got a bucket here with some broken cigarettes. Have you? Uh, so you've gotten some people to agree to try to quit smoking? Yeah, we've had, we had a couple. We're do, going in a slow start, but we're going to get a lot more people, hopefully. We're doing this in all five campuses tonight, so hopefully... We get a lot of people to quit smoking at Rutgers. Do more students smoke than used to or less or about the same amount? Um, well, nationally, it's said that less people smoke right now per youth, but we're still trying to persuade them to quit smoking because we're trying to make it 100% youth not smoke. So, yeah. And if somebody wants to find out more, is there a website? Yes, there is cancer.org, or if you want to know more about Colleges Against Cancer, you can go to um, eden.rutgers.edu, uh, R-U-C-A-C. 
This is The Core News on 90.3 The Core. Streaming and podcasting at thecore.fm. This is the Sherman. This is the Sherman Tank with an update of all your entertainment news. We're about four seconds into the segment now, and you know what that means. It's time for the Hobbit news. This is a relatively small bit of news, but that doesn't mean it's not very exciting. Film composer extraordinaire Howard Shore has confirmed that he is indeed on board to write the music for the two-part movie series. Shore's score was a vital part of the original Lord of the Rings trilogy and was critically acclaimed. He won all three of his Oscars for his work in the series, two for Best Original Score for The Fellowship of the Ring and The Return of the King, and one of them for Best Original Song, Into the West, featured in The Return of the King. Anybody familiar with the works of David Cronenberg will also certainly be familiar with the music of Howard Shore. Moving on, I've got a few more updates on movies I've mentioned over the past few weeks. As I feared, Robert Downey Jr. is in danger of leaving Alfonso Cuarón's space thriller Gravity. Actually, wait, no, scratch that. Robert Downey Jr. has left Alfonso Cuarón's space thriller Gravity. The actor had been the only constant for the movie, set to play a minor supporting character since pretty much the inception of the project. Over the last few months, the production has been through a lot of trouble trying to find a lead actress before finally getting a tentative lock on Sandra Bullock, and even that deal hasn't yet been made official. Now, with Downey Jr. leaving, the movie is in serious jeopardy. Seemingly, nothing's gone right for Curon in his movie, and that makes me very sad because the man's one of the best visionaries working in the industry right now. We'll just have to wait and see if all the trouble Gravity's put the studio through will just make Warner Brothers cancel the project outright. The next bit of news is about superhero movies, and of course there are always a few of those waiting right around the corner at all times these days. Two of the bigger ones are the newest chapters in the Batman and Spider-Man franchises. As many of you probably know, the Spider-Man series is getting a reboot with his next movie, meaning that the characters have been recast and the story is going to be retold. I reported a few weeks ago that Emma Stone has been cast as love interest Gwen Stacy, who competes with Mary Jane for Peter Parker's affection in the comics. Now, word's getting around that this new Spider-Man franchise is doing away with Mary Jane entirely, and Gwen Stacy will be the sole romantic interest for the hero. Also interesting is that Stacy's father is said to be played by Dennis Leary, which is awesome because Dennis Leary is awesome. In the world of Batman, the cast is still very much a thing in progress. Christian Bale and Sir Michael Caine are of course returning, along with a few others, but the female roles have yet to been filled out. Christopher Nolan has reportedly narrowed down a list of candidates to six women to fill the two female roles in the movie. One a love interest, one a villain. Hmm, a female Batman villain? Sounds like Catwoman to me, although I've got my fingers crossed for Harley Quinn. Anyway, the list of candidates sounds something like this. Rachel Weisz, Naomi Watts, Blake Lively, Natalie Portman, Anne Hathaway, and Kira Knightley. If that list sounds like every other list of actresses considered for every female role in every movie that comes out these days, that's because it pretty much is. Anyway, according to Sir Michael Caine, who plays Alfred the Butler, shooting for the movie will begin in January of 2011 and be wrapped up by November. The most exciting piece of movie news I've heard over the last few weeks is about Daniel Day-Lewis, who very well might be the best actor in the business right now, and one of the greatest of all time. For those unfamiliar with Day-Lewis's work, here's what you need to know. When shooting begins, he goes into character and stays in character until shooting is over. And I don't mean they start shooting at the beginning of the day and he stays in character for the rest of the day. I mean, he's in character for months at a time. While working on the 1989 movie My Left Foot, in which Day-Lewis plays a man with cerebral palsy who could control only his left foot, the actor broke two ribs from remaining hunched over in his wheelchair during shooting. He won an Oscar. He's also extremely selective, as he's featured in only nine movies over the last 20 years. To put that in perspective, it would not be unlikely to see Russell Crowe in the trailers for nine different movies in one sitting. So it's very exciting to hear that Daniel Day-Lewis has announced his next role will be as Abraham Lincoln in Steven Spielberg's biopic of the president, simply titled Lincoln. Liam Neeson was originally attached to play the president of the USA, but has left the project because he feels he's too old for the part. But no matter how it came to be, having Day-Lewis as the star instantly makes it one of my most anticipated movies. Let's close out the segment with some very exciting news for all New Jersey residents. There's a magical place in the world called the Alamo Draft House, which is pretty much unanimously agreed upon as the greatest movie theater in the country. I haven't been to any of them, but I plan on making a pilgrimage in the near future. One of the very cool features of the theater is that the rows of seats all have tables in front of them, and you can order dinner right where you sit during the movie. 
Yeah, as I said, it's a very magical place. Unfortunately, they're all in Texas. Okay, there's also one in Virginia, but that doesn't really change my point. The chain's expected to expand even further in the future, but while we wait for that to happen, AMC has announced that they're adding a dinner option to select theaters around the country, Alamo Drafthouse style. By the end of the year, there will be three AMC theaters offering the service in New Jersey, including one right down the road from Rutgers at the Bridgewater Mall. That one opens on November 22nd, Edison's getting one in December, and there's already one open for business in West Orange. That was the Sherman Tank with your entertainment rundown. And that's all for this week's edition of the Core News. We will be back next Monday at 7 p.m. right here on 90.3 The Core. But you can catch our podcast anytime online at thecore.fm. If you'd like to ask us a question, suggest a news story, maybe join the Core News team yourself, well, then uh, you can email us. Because, you know, it is 2010. We're no longer accepting smoke signals. Send all email to news at thecore.fm. The Core News has been brought to you by Yashwanth Manjanath, Rebecca Norton, Amy Bronstein, Nana, Rebecca Berkowitz, Lauren Jefferson, the Sherman Tank, Stephen Yannick, and Mindy Hoffman. We here at the Core News hope you have an excellent Thanksgiving. Try not to kill any more turkeys than you absolutely need to. And enjoy seeing your family as much as possible. I know I will. You've been listening to the Core News on 90.3 The Core.